I saw yesterday yet another one of these surveys conducted as it relates to the AFC North, and your favorite football team brought up the rear again as having only an 8.8% chance of winning the AFC North. No other team had less than 24%. So your your team either stinks or it's being greatly underestimated. And if it's the latter, as I believe it is, then you're going to need to see individuals and positional groups rise up. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer daily shots of Penguins and Pirates where you found this. Which positional group is the most likely to have a year-over-year leap, the kind that you would need in order to impress upon all of these doubters that the Steelers in fact, do not stink and should not stink. I am going to point to the tight ends. And yes, I'm making that plural because it's not just about Pat Fryermuth. Anybody who paid attention to the work that Zach Gentry put in, not only as a blocking tight end, not only in having to compensate, as did pretty much everybody on that offense for the weak line, but also as a receiver. So let's start. With Gentry, he finished with 19 catches for 167 yards. That's not exciting, to say the least, but he's the distant number two tight end, and he was utilized mostly in two tight end packages. You might not see a ton of that this year, depending on how things shake out with the wide receivers, depending on how much Matt Canada utilizes that formation, obviously. But knowing that you've got someone like Gentry who took a step of his own last season, knowing that you've got that depth, that guards against injury, that affords you certain luxuries as you work your way inside the 20, inside the 10, and you start going for the bigger packages. And yeah, he's come a pretty good way. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago that Tomlin was just torturing this kid over at the sleds. And Tomlin is really tough on his tight ends. Anybody can tell you that who watches practices. But Gentry was really getting it. Tomlin was just not going to accept that this young man wasn't going to make it as an NFL tight end. And in Pittsburgh, that always starts, even for the great Heath Miller, with blocking. Gentry met that challenge. Gentry became a nice-looking NFL tight end. That said... Everything that I'm saying here relies on Friermuth. This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by Point Park University. Choose from nearly 100 career-focused programs leading to bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. Choose when and how you'd prefer to do that studying, whether it's at Point Park's gorgeous downtown Pittsburgh campus, whether it's online, maybe a flexible hybrid format would work best for you. Find out more about all of this at Point Park. Let's take a lot of different optimistic pieces and try to jam them together into a happy little puzzle. Friermuth 
had 60 catches for 497 yards, averaged 8.3, seven touchdowns. But, yeah, the fumble. Everyone remembers the fumble against the Lions. He also had other miscues at other inopportune times. Now, he was a rookie. If you're new to this show, you haven't heard this, but Tomlin has always been of the belief, and a vocal belief at that, in dealing with his young players, that year two is the year that you arrive with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You've had a full year of conditioning, of nutrition, of learning playbooks, of having X's and O's become instinctual rather than something that you're thinking about out there. So Fryermuth has a good rookie year, very promising rookie year, coupled with the expected, and I do mean expected, year two progression. And now add into that, not one, but two quarterbacks in the fold between Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky, who have no issue whatsoever with throwing across the middle of the field, something that Ben Roethlisberger had pretty much stopped doing. Whether that was on Ben or whether that was on Canada no longer matters, like not at all. What does matter, and you can anticipate that I'm going to be pounding this issue home right through the opener and right through the entirety of the season, Fryermuth has to be used in the middle of the field. There has to be that valve. There has to be that guy that other teams can't properly account for in their matchups. That's how you make defenses uncomfortable. How often do we hear, whenever we're looking at it from the Steelers' perspective, that they're facing a team with a Travis Kelsey or a Rob Gronkowski, and no, I'm not putting Fryermuth in those classes. I'm just talking about the challenge of facing a tough tight end where you say, who's going to be on him? Or how many is it going to take to defend him or to bring him down? Is that a job just for X inside linebacker? Or is it a case of X inside linebacker and maybe Y slot corner jumping in? That's when you start creating, well, more grass. If Fryermuth is taken seriously as a target by the opponent, and he draws to him like a magnet, one or more players in coverage, and you run somebody else there with him, whether it's George Pickens on a slant, whether it's Chase Claypool, whether it's Deontay Johnson coming underneath, you'll see that they have more real estate. They have more space in which to operate. They have more space in which to gasp, Get some yards after the catch. Something else we didn't see from this group all year long. The benefits are enormous. But as with everything else that I bring up that's related to this offense, I get stuck on the same thing because I I need to see something tangible and real from Canada to believe that he's a coordinator that can capitalize on this many weapons, and this one more than any other. He had Fryermuth all of last season, too. Didn't use him anywhere near enough. Didn't use him even on third downs when a situation was screaming for him. Closer to the goal line, didn't use him. Why? I don't know. Ray Ray, I guess. It's got to change. 
And if it does, it's going to be the biggest change on this offense. When we come back, just one question. of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by our friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located directly across Federal Street from PNC Park. They are the one, the only, the premier destination in Pittsburgh for craft beer. More than 500 craft beers available, more than 350 of those local, and more than 80 of those on tap. Mike's can't be topped. Not for beer, not for the awesome kitchen and menu that's available, not for all the special events that are going on there. Check them out online at mikesbeerbar.com. Mike's Beer Bar, right across Federal Street from PNC Park. And time for today's J1Q, and it comes from Frank Filatico, who asks, who were the three or four best receivers Ben ever played with? You know... I almost feel like I should have some kind of uh, a time period here where I can roll through all of the different names here because the way I record these shows is pretty much how you're hearing them. I'm not going to hit pause and then go do a research here. So if I miss somebody really obvious, just, you know, give me a break on it. But I, I think it might be even more fun to do it this way. I and mean, the obvious one is, is AB. AB is the best receiver that Ben ever played with. AB is the best receiver in franchise history for whatever else you might think of his various other failings in life. And they are many and great. After AB, you have to go with Heinz Ward. So these two are the easy ones. From there, I'm not going to hesitate long in throwing in Santonio Holmes because the bigger games do matter more. And Santonio did what he did to the Cardinals. Sure, Ben gets every bit as much credit. Not just for the pass and the catch, by the way. I really hate when that drive is condensed to just the one play. It was what they did the whole way up the field. Everyone associated with the Arizona Cardinals knew that seven was thrown to 10 on every single play, and they couldn't do anything to combat it. That alone puts you into a special category. Who else we got? Antoine Randall-L's got to jump in there, right? Is that fair? Antoine did so many different things, not least of which was throwing for a touchdown, that his career supersedes his own numbers. Because here again, Antoine was a big-time player in big-time situations. Now, you'll notice that I'm hearkening back to the earlier part of Ben's career for almost all of these guys. In fact, everybody but A.B. But that's not a coincidence either. Every time we thought that Ben had someone else who could be in that category, whether it was a Plexigo Burris or a Martavis Bryant, or for that matter, one glorious year of Juju Smith-Schuster, it ended up not really working out. Not over the long haul, anyway. There's obviously nobody with the current group I'd put in that category. I should probably throw in Emmanuel Sanders, too, right? That's fair. 
I mean, I'm already over your limit there, which I think was three or four. So if if you're limiting it to like really strictly to three, it would be A.B., Hines, and Santonio. Uh, if you don't agree with that or you feel that I've, uh, you know, left somebody out or you just hate A.B. and want to come at me for that, you can do so in the comments section on DK Pittsburgh Sports. You can do so in the comments section on YouTube, wherever it is that you happen to uh, catch this podcast on a regular basis. That's fun stuff, though, man. You know, that's fun stuff when you start doing lists like that. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We'll do another one tomorrow. I swear I've forgotten somebody. There still feels like I've forgotten someone. Help me out here. <laughs>